0: Come on in, sit back and relax. You're listening to episode 224 of the Wealth Tech Today podcast. I'm your host, Craig Eskulitz, founder of Ezra Group Consulting. And this podcast features interviews, news, and analysis on the trends and best practices all around wealth management technology. My guest for this episode is Colin Falls, founder and CEO of GeoWealth. Now, Colin has been at GeoWealth for over 11 years. Uh, Before that, he was at a Midwestern uh, RIA for two years. And before that, and right after graduating from Notre Dame, he played professional basketball in Europe for about a year and a half in Czechoslovakia and Italy. Got to give him credit for that. It wasn't the NBA, but still, you're playing pro ball somewhere, you're playing pro ball. Got to give him credit. Um, Shakti changed careers. Why would you leave basketball for the RIA wealth management business? I don't know, but we're happy he did. Otherwise, you wouldn't have uh, GeoWealth around. So we covered a lot of ground in this episode. We talked about their release and press release. I'm not going to spill the beans. You'll hear it from him. Um, we talked about their support for unified managed accounts and how they built their technology from scratch there. We talked about alternative investment support, and we talked about new account opening. Lots of good stuff. But before we get started, let's talk about tech stacks. Now, at Ezra Group, we've seen tech stacks of hundreds of RIAs. Let me tell you, most of them are loaded down with tech debt. So you shouldn't feel too bad about yours. But let's face it, tech debt is like a giant anchor holding back your business growth. If you want to free your firm for exponential growth, you should run, not walk, to our website, EzraGroup.com, and fill out the Contact Us form. Our experienced team can evaluate your current tech ecosystem, deliver targeted recommendations, optimize your existing systems and operations or run an RFP and help you implement new software to take your firm to the next level. You can take advantage of our free consultation offer by going to EzraGroup.com. Housekeeping items that we always do before the interview. Uh, Please subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. Check out investinothers.org. That's the Invest in Others Charitable Foundation. They do a lot of good work in our industry, raising money to donate to charities that are uh, either run by or helped by financial advisors. And I'm excited to introduce our next guest. It is founder and CEO of GeoWealth, Colin Falls. Colin, welcome to the program.
1: Hey, Craig, it's great to be with you. I've been uh, looking forward to being on for a while now. I'm glad we're able to make this happen.
0: You know, Colin, we're all busy. I'm glad you can make time for us. We get you in our schedule here in the new year. <laughs> uh, still, still in the new year, we're still uh, cranking here. We're, you know, there's a lot going on. Uh, and are you calling in from? Looks like your Chicago office.
1: I am calling in from our Chicago headquarters. Um, you know, we have about a little over 100 people now across the company. Uh, headquarters in Chicago, where we have. Uh, the majority of the management and the operations and servicing, and then we have an engineering hub over in Europe, and then a you know, number of people scattered across the country, which is just kind of the new normal with the virtual work world.
0: Hey, man! Well, I mean, Ezra Group Consulting—we've always been virtual. We were we were a no-office company when well, we started 19 years ago, so we were a bit ahead of the curve. So I, I completely understand. Uh, that. Well,
1: I, I joke. I'm... We're kind of the same. So when we launched in 2010, we were we were actually um, integrated with another RAA. It was a subsidiary of ours. And uh, so I was in Kansas City, and we had no real – you know, we had the, the office in Europe in Sofia, Bulgaria was our engineering hub, and we had just a few people. So we had a CTO, we had a CIO, we had a head of operations, and everyone was virtual. So we literally had uh, no headquarters or roots, and we realized before we go to market that we had to you know it, you know invest in, uh, in a headquarters, a home office. I was from Chicago. Certainly there's a lot of talent in the area. and so we kind of did it re- in reverse. We were a virtual company, realized we needed um, you know uh, a, a more solid foundation and so that was uh, us moving to Chicago in 2013.
0: Yeah, and we, you and I met, according to my notes, in 2017, and that's when I got my first demo of the platform uh and it was it was you know pretty early i mean but i could could tell that you had a lot going on and you were you're pretty ambitious in your your goals i I mean and i I was a little dubious i have to say because it's hard to build out all of this stuff as you know um but before we get into that can you give us uh before jumping give us a 30 second elevator pitch for geo wealth
1: absolutely so GeoWealth is the modern TAMP for RAs. And so when we think about TAMPs, there's three core components there's technology, there's the investment portfolio or portfolio solutions, and there's these services. And all three TAMPs have all of those, I think, all kind of focus in different areas. Our core competencies in the technology later. So all of our technology is proprietary. Um, we're exclusively focused on RAs. We really can serve at this point RA's from emerging startup RA's all the way up to five, six billion, up to ten billion dollar RA's, and we want to you know uh, really be the bridge between the traditional software as a service provider and the traditional TAMP and bring the best of those capabilities in one place.
0: That was a concise and well thought out answer, Colin. I appreciate that.
1: Well, I wanted to answer your. I wanted to start getting into the what, the why we built it before you asked that one, and how we did it, because I remember our conversation back in 2017, and it's interesting. At that time, we had we'd gone very wide, but we hadn't, you know, we were focusing on you know rounding out a lot of the capabilities, and we needed to build a new UI. So I'm happy to kind of dig into there wherever you want to take it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I, we we do a lot of software reviews that's that's something we're really we're really big on we do a lot of competitive analysis research here so when i first met you i saw i have my notes showing i was going through your rebalancer do you do this 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 is you're like well no 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 yes or this no no i'm like you guys are so far behind but then you know it's that's what it, that's what it takes when you're when you're starting out and you're building out this this wide breadth of capabilities it just takes years to build it because it's not an easy lift um but You've you've done it pretty well so it, far. You yeah, an overview of that?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. It, it, you know the, and I think that that's why there's not a lot of new entrants. Like if you look around portfolio accounting and specifically sub accounting systems in the in this space, you know there haven't been a lot of new entrants in the last five to seven years. And the reason is it's hard and it creates a higher barrier to entry. And so we actually started building the technology around 2008, 2009, and we invested in the foundation first. So think sub-accounting, build up in, you know, building up to accounting, um, and then incrementally built out all the capabilities, whether it was reporting or billing or trading systems. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's as you know, it's more challenging to do that in the UMA structure than just your typical mm-hmm. accounting structure. And so a lot of like the advisor-facing features were really built more in like the last six or seven years, where the first six and seven years were based on the foundation and the plumbing. So I think when we talk really at that inflection point when we were going to market, we had a lot of the foundation built but building out you know additional features on our rebalancing or our OMS or our proposal um, still needed work and so you know I view it as a, um, a, a real competitive advantage for us that we have built it all from the ground we understand you know every element of how the technology works and, fa- and functionally even even the operation side you know when I started in 2010 I was literally doing the reconciliation I was doing the billing, reporting, and trading. So understanding at our level, and Jack Hanna, who's the president as well, how the sausage is made, I think it really helps inform how to build the product.
0: It definitely does. Um, Yeah, I mean, we've built portfolio accounting engines, you know, the specifications for portfolio accounting engines. And when people see the spec fee right there, they can't believe how big it is, right? You don't realize what goes on behind the scenes yeah. portfolio accounting uh that's why when people tell me oh we got a new like i got a call from a i got a call from a journalist from the financial times last week saying there's an ria that just is going to build their own portfolio management system what do you think of that i said sounds like a stupid idea <laughs> I'm like well what what do you mean Why? Yeah. because there's so many of them out there it's and it's so hard to do and it's not your core competency but for you guys you built it yeah. you decided it was going to be your core competency.
1: Yeah, and, and we were fortunate. You know, we're back to a family office, so we had patient capital. I think oftentimes, you know, whether it's private equity or venture, I think depending on what stage or, you know, how you get into it, you know, we always had the vision that there was going to be an extended R&D period to deliver, you know, to build the, the breadth of the solution we wanted. And I think, like you, you know, any I hear a new portfolio accounting entrant or even, like, sub-accounting entrant into the market, you're skeptical just because you know how hard it is and are they doing transaction-based accounting, and so there's nuances on all this, and as, as you know, there's so much noise in our space. It's, it's the hardest thing to do is matrix out the capabilities based on providers because everyone represents that they have everything, and then yeah. oftentimes you can look under the hood and realize, oh wait, they're using this provider or they're using this provider. Um, and so you just got you got to cut through that. But I but I also think as this has evolved, as the tech side of this, and you know this better than me, has become more mature. There's been consolidation. And there's, you know, I don't want to say a dozen firms, maybe two dozen firms that stand out with portfolio accounting and TAM capabilities. They're differentiated in their own. And I, I think there'll be more consolidation and the best, you know, the best software companies are going to be the survivors here.
0: Exactly. Yeah. But when you, when you mentioned tax-a-lot accounting, the transaction processing engine, feed handler, corporate actions, dividend reinvestments, you know, just we talk about fixed income. And people start their 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 eyes start to glaze over. We got to do what? How do we how do we recon how do we build that reconciliation security master? Yeah. So it's it's. I was definitely impressed that you guys got through all of that and built a stable platform. Because uh, there is a lot of noise and there's a lot of there's, there's so many out there. I mean, I, I wrote an article five years ago already, six years ago, called "50 Portfolio Management Platforms Can't All Survive," and more keep coming out. Yep. Uh, and there's only yep. so much market share, and you've you've guys have done it. An interesting way, at least, that you're that you're focused on a Tamp. You're not just selling software. You're you're a Tamp that's run by uh, your own software platform. So it's it's a it's a unique way of of delivering it.
1: Yeah, and I think that that's played out to some extent, right? Like if you think about the R A market in two thousand and ten, it was a trillion dollars. I don't know what it is today, $8 trillion dollars, whatever it is. And it was very clear that what independent RAs were looking for was modern software and architecture. And I think coming out of two thousand and ten. Again, we were getting involved. Everything was going from desktop to cloud. But those were still, you know, more immature companies on the software side. Now, a lot of them have scaled up and they have trillions on the platform now. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, we always viewed it as there was an opportunity to bridge what these software providers brought to the table. And and frankly, robo-advisors helped us in terms of better UI, better workflows, and what an RA actually wants to do, right? Mm -hmm. And so there was a chasm between... A pure software provider and what a TAMP was offering, right? And so if you think about what, when an RA launches, what they have to address, they have to address technology and operations, they have to address investment solutions, and they have to invest financial planning. Most RAs did not get in the business to be in operations and technology. And I think that part of the challenge is, and there's a lot of great softwares out there, unless you're a scaled five, $10 billion plus firm, like, the, the argument to do that yourself and use a software and operate it and invest in the operations and the redundancies, I think, is challenged. And I think that the, the, the TAMPs that were in the market weren't giving enough flexibility on the investment side um, that the RAs just wouldn't use TAMPs, right? So it was almost like a fork in the road of, you know, are you an RA you're going to outsource? Are you, or I'm sorry, you're going to use a software provider. If you're a broker-dealer, you're going to use a TAMP. And our view is always, like, why don't we bring them together? Why don't you have self-service technology plus the outsourcing, you know, the efficiencies and automation and scale that comes with outsourcing, and can you bring it together? And I do think that there's tailwinds behind it, right? You've seen TAMPs acquire software providers, software providers acquire TAMPs. I think when it's all said and done, most of them are going to be able to offer software and services with them.
0: That seems to be the way at least the big players are going. If you look at the, the InvestNets, and the Orions that have merged their software platforms with their TAMPs, they are moving in that direction, offering more services, more of an end-to-end platform, including CRM, including financial planning, uh, even insurance and others. Uh, so uh, that's something you guys are, are growing up against, but you seem to be growing uh, at a nice clip. And that leads us into our next topic, which is your press release. You want to give the news here?
1: Yeah, happy to. So, you know, we, um, we recently, uh, at the end of the year, surpassed 28, $28 billion dollars on the platform. I think it's about 28 and a half we ended the year with um, across 180,000 accounts and a couple hundred RAs. And so, you know, I think everybody going into 2022 had, you know, ambitious growth expectations. And I think 22 is humbling for anyone that touched the wealth space. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think at the same time, you know, we were resilient and our client base had very, very little turnover um, we were able to grow. I think the challenge in 22 was for us was less the market and more advisors being heads down with volatility and do, you know focusing on their clients, which they should. And the idea of making technological or operational changes was was a non-starter. And so um, it was nice to see in 2023 advisors get past that, stabilize their clients, you know, uh, the psychology around that, and and start thinking about growth and you know partners in the future. And I think. You know, we've just ridden that wave in terms of growth. And so, you know, it's interesting, like there's, you know, clear product market fit that we've established in the last few years. And we feel like uh, things are coming at us now, you know, in volumes that have never been there. So we don't we don't we expect the growth to continue um, and, you know, are pretty excited about kind of this next uh, chapter for the company.
0: Well, congratulations. That's a big milestone. Almost 30 billion. Not quite. Almost there.
1: Almost there. Almost there. We're, yeah. I can't, I mean, you know, the real time numbers. It, yes. And we have, we have quite a, a, a large pipeline and uh, new things coming on as well. But, you know, I told you, Craig, as we were kind of joking before it, you know, every day is a grind. Do you know that? And, you know, anyone in a startup business that's scaling a business feels that way. And, and, you know, every now and again you got to pick your head up and say, okay, we're making progress. And so, you know, if you look at it over a one, three, five-year period, you know, we, we've made a lot of progress, but I think we still have it in our DNA that to grind every day and act like we haven't done much and um, support our clients and, uh, and you know, like, like they're our first. And so I do think that that's helped us.
0: Colin, uh, let's talk some tech. One of the things I like about your platform is you built out a support for unified managed accounts, UMAs. Uh, not a lot of vendors of your size offer this. The big guys do, but not a lot of vendors your size do. Can you tell us, uh, so why you built that and some of the new feature functionality around your UMA that you are uh, coming out with?
1: Yeah, and so I think there's two, there's a couple things there. Once, yes, there are vendors that have built it and there's some big ones. I think that what we did right is that there, there's two ways to do UMA, right? You could build in a portfolio of accounting system, and then after the fact, build sub-accounting and connect your own rebalancer to it. That oftentimes is clunky, right? Because you're connecting kind of disparate systems. What we did, I think, correctly, is we built the sub-accounting as like the underlying layer that built up to our accounting system. So there's there was never a scenario that we didn't have UMA or sub-accounting. I mean, UMA is is just basically supporting self-accounting to some extent and then it's all the products that you put into it and so we built that from day one it's allowed us to be flexible in terms of you know billing in a UMA structure reporting in a UMA structure investing um in in the in the system you know if there's any feedback we get sometimes if it's a little maybe too flexible in different cases we're not rigid in that you have to go into a UMA program and it's like set there's every you know it's really building up from the sub-accounting structure. So you could have models of models, you could have UMA, you could have an assortment of just portfolios and carved out positions or uh, cash on the sidelines. And so it's, it's created tremendous flexibility for us. And I think that you know, the next wave of innovation on that are what are the product types, the new investment solutions that we could bring into that, that you know, have traditionally been 40 fund, you act know, funds and individual securities. And so we're um, getting closer to launching where you could have direct indexing in a UMA. You could have fixed income in a UMA, structured notes, uh, semi-liquid alts. And so we think that, that that's where the world's going is when we think about personalization. Um, a lot of personalization is we think if we thought about like the direct indexing platforms, they're all built on traditionally single uh, portfolio account structures
0: mm-hmm. and
1: we think that there's need to be more flexibility in the future to get the benefit um of personalization inside of UMA so we think that's kind of the new frontier and we're very focused on it
0: I would love to see those things that's a lot of I mean that's a lot of interesting functionality um security types program types inside of a UMA now fixed income we've seen We have seen some other firms launch direct indexing. I mean, direct indexing is really just like an SMA. Like an SMA manager can run a direct index inside of a UMA, no problem. Is there something special you're doing with your direct indexing in a UMA that's going to be different than just if the SMA manager was running 500 stocks in his his SMA? The the difference is that you're
1: going to... So if you think about that, right, what does that require the advisor to do? It requires them to likely go dual contract directly with that sub-advisor. And I think that's the problem with direct indexing and, and really just SMAs in general in, in a world where everything is coming to integration and platforms. And so if you have to do everything to a dual contract and go to your direct indexing provider, and that's a siloed part of your business that's not run on your operating platform, it's not the ideal experience. And so our view you know, we, you know, this, this, there was an aha moment to some extent when we were working with the provider, and they were like, "All right, so I have my direct indexing account in one account, I have my fixed income in another, and my funds and ETFs in another SMA. Mm-hmm. And every year when I rebalance, I have to journal positions across 2,000 accounts, and rebalancing that takes two, two to three weeks. Mm-hmm. And so I just, I think we're moving to a world where. Uh, just in the way UMAs benefited you know equity SMAs and funds and ETFs, it's going to have that same benefit across uh, some of the newer investment solutions that have come to market.
0: Well, we'd certainly like, like to see that. So what you're what you're saying is there'd be some sort of direct indexing functionality on the Wealth side that would allow you to do the trading. So it would be just one contract with you. Uh, with, not... as you could say, i want to I want a direct index on the s and p five hundred. My client doesn't want to buy any military stocks, so take them out, and you would just handle that.
1: Yeah, it, not necessarily. So the manager would still the DI platform would still trade that sleeve. So, and again, that's all being worked out. And again, I think we're 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 not far from an announcement on where we're, where we're heading on this. But the idea would be that you'd have a UMA where we were trading some components of it, and there would be a manager trading different elements where it's more
0: complicated. Interesting. Uh, so that's that's, I mean, that's the old school UMA was all direct manager trading, you know, when, back in the old days. And then UMA, you know, the, the model-based UMA enabled that to go away and the sponsors to take control where they're just getting you now a spreadsheet from the managers and then they're, they're doing all the trading. And it's still difficult. There's some big firms who, who shall remain nameless who still don't do a very good job of manager direct manager trading. They still have to rely on third-party technologies. So you know, how, how did you build that out on your end?
1: Uh, well, it's not completely built, right? So if you think about it, the sub-accounting structure allows for it. And so for us, it's more operational workflows that are required to, because to, just think about anything traded on our platform is easily sleeved out. Mm-hmm. Anything traded off our platform, if we understand where it's coming from, we could we could allocate it to sleeves. Mm-hmm. And so yes, I, the, the the way we're thinking about it is it all still comes through our chassis. It comes through our service center. So there's you know there's a streamlined workflow in terms of how the orders are are um, mm-hmm. generated or not even generated but um, uh, requested. And then we are going to execute the things that are more standard and liquid and then the manager would have the ability like again like we you know we're not in the business of executing on the fixed income side right there's a lot of complexities on direct indexing that some of the large direct indexing providers are very good at and so the idea is to use our chassis to support it all but from an execution standpoint only do where we think we're best suited and then lean on third parties that you know we believe are you know you in the space and they're Mm -hmm. they're different vertical
0: that sounds like a good plan don't, if you don't have to do everything yourself, why would you, right? Bring in, bring in the experts. So I'm looking forward to seeing all the exactly. features inside a UMA on the GeoWealth platform at some point in the future. Uh, moving yep. on to other, plan. Look other at- functionality. So you also um, recently acquired uh, a TAMP. You uh, you acquired First Ascent. Congratulations on that as well. Uh, Scott and his team, uh, you, that's a great, a great acquisition for you guys. And regarding their tech, you are in the middle of um, onboarding new account opening process, taking what they've got, merging what you have. Can you explain how that works and what the the impetus behind that is?
1: Yeah. And and just for a second, maybe I'll give you 30 seconds on the rationale, because I think it leads into what we're building. And so, you know, we met Scott and his team, uh, man, the years go by. We met him in uh, the middle of 2022. And um, actually, the, the conversation around, they used a different software platform. They were, they were doing it themselves and offering a TAMP. And they were actually looking at us as potentially re-platforming. Mm-hmm. And in, you know, very quickly, as part of that conversation, the way we came together is we were actually competing for a few prospects mm-hmm. that were in the $30 to $50 million range. And what we realized is a lot of their capabilities were perfectly suited for the emerging RA, I think 20 to $100 million. And the reason is, is they did more than us in terms of full service, you know, they were more of a full full service TAMP where they're doing the account cashiering and the custodial relationship, meaning they also built, the only tech they actually built was an onboarder that was seamlessly like a uh, investment solutions. You get to pick your investment solutions, open accounts, all in one need onboarder. And so that lent itself to their business model. And what attracted us is that we weren't um, as focused on that market. We'll call it the emerging advisor market. Mm-hmm. And we saw it as an opportunity to expand and offer more services. And so as part of it, we got a great team, um, a, 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 a great client base. They really have a great client base. Mm-hmm. In addition, it, it opened up you know, more technological opportunity for us. So we have our own account opening capabilities. We have our own proposal. They have their onboarder, which has some of the same capabilities. And what we're doing is we're integrating that into ours so it's in one ecosystem and you get the best of both worlds uh, from, a, from a real you know onboarding experience. Because remember, a lot of these full-service clients that are co-advisory don't get to go to the custodian. They don't have access. They would only have access through GeoWealth. And so we have to make sure it's as seamless as possible uh, in terms of how they interact with the
0: custodians. What is it you liked about the first Ascent onboarding new account opening tech that, that you made you want to replace your own?
1: I wouldn't say it's a replacement of our own. We're actually taking some of their capabilities and embedding it inside of ours. And honestly, it's just a lot of uh, their, their new account workflow capabilities um, are they are better than ours, frankly, o- ours were built for um, enterprises to use more like that's operated more like broker dealers. Theirs is built more for, you know, emerging RAs and we just, there's, there's, there's just capabilities inside their, that will be easy to integrate in ours. So it's not like we're um, we're not taking their code, right? Yeah. We're taking their concepts and they're, they have an engineer that works with them that's not part of our team and accelerating and adding some of those capabilities to our own.
0: Oh, okay, so you're not moving the actual code base over. You're just saying, hey, that's no. a great idea. We're gonna build that.
1: Yes, correct, inside of our own. Uh, and we and we could do it very quickly. Because, and again, ours is really solid, but this is just, there's uh, nuances to it, which, you know, I'd have to bring on the product side of the rationale yeah. of exactly what capabilities, but there's there's definitely expanded functionality that we didn't have.
0: Yeah. So that's really just taking their ideas and, and rebuilding and saying, hey, we liked how yep. you did your onboarding. We liked the process. Yep. We're going to build that. We're that's gonna, correct. We're going to improve ours uh, by building the way you built it. So it's more like intellectual property.
1: It is, and, and the person that built it, right, is on our team now too. So um, that, that's a you know it's, it was one of those .dot net Java. I don't know how this is going to work. They were, they built it on .dot net. We're on Java, so uh-huh.
0: um,
1: it just made it made it, it made sense to build in our system, right? It's just like you know, to take a, a fresh look at it, build it in our UI UX, and, and um, that's the plan.
0: Well, coming from a former from a comp sci major, former programmer, when I hear um, C sharp and or net and Java trying to work together my my the back of my neck the hairs go up. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you have more experience than me, Craig. I, I I act like I know what I'm talking about in technology. I've never written a line of code in my life, but I've gotten close enough. To, you know, it, it's interesting. I think there's there's developers and engineers and there's the business people, and I think that I I know where to stay in my lane. So I I try and give input based on. The experiences we've had but i'll get over my head very quickly on
0: the, on the technology side yeah I mean, yeah, you don't have to know right
1: exactly exactly
0: yeah so you you need to know the basics and that's important i mean i've been around so long i was there when c-sharp was released like in 2001 or something like 2002 i don't know that's when c-sharp first came out um so that's when i was
1: i was a sophomore i was a sophomore in high school
0: yeah exactly right yeah you see but you still, still, that stuff still works. And Java is even older, right? I mean, so it's uh, the the age, yep. um, the age of a programming language doesn't relate to its um, um, viability, and, and how whether you should yep. use it or not, right? I mean, I think the Java was created by some microsystems in the '90s, right? Like '94 or something. So it's even older than C sharp. Uh, I'm I'm so old enough that I was using Java when it first came out. I was excited. Woo Java. Look at this stuff. Uh anyway, you can reminisce all day. Uh but um got a couple more minutes. Let's talk um about some of the other cool things you guys are doing. Uh alternatives, integrations with iCapital. uh, we love talking about integrations. Can you talk a little bit about that and what that involves and how you did it?
1: Yeah, I think that it it um aligns with the theme of, you know, historically we've served a more mass affluent and client base. And as we add capabilities to go upstream uh, for high net worth and ultra high net worth investors, there's a different set of reporting requirements that come with that, right? And so we've older, overhauled our reporting engine and kind of a reporting suite in the last couple of years. And as part of it, um, you know, again, with more fixed income accounts, we're going deeper on fixed income reporting and uh, all the nuances there in fixed income. Uh, likewise with alts, right? And so there's two parts to the alts, right? There's building the report, which is actually kind of the easier part where you, you're having things like committed capital and, you know, MOIC, like they're just very alternative driven in terms of metrics and reporting. The harder part's actually the data connectivity. And so, you know, we've, we've recently integrated with Capital, who's, you know, the kind of the leader in the space in terms of access. And so um, our view is, Complement what we're doing in terms of capabilities we're building for the upstream and uh, client. We have to, um, you know, you know, in, improve or expand our capabilities on the reporting side to align with what their expectations will be when using those services.
0: It's something we're seeing more and more firms doing, and then the alt space is exploding with new vendors. I mean, ICAPITAL is one of the leaders. There's a lot of other players you know, buying sure. for them, yep. like ACES is also up there and, you know, every yep. uh, large vendor's got some connectivity to alts and there's lots of smaller ones coming out. So, you know, when you did the data connectivity, was that difficult to do? What was, what was involved in that?
1: It was relatively straightforward. Um, not, not much different. Like in the way I view it is just like we're going to support every RA custodian, we're going to need to support the all, you know, the alt Platforms, and we really just treat them as a custodian from a data vendor standpoint. So, um, uh, similar to that, I would say the differences are there's like unique, uniqueness in terms of the fields they send you because of the all-specific reporting. Um, but, but it, it was a, a similar process. So we feel like, you know, we could we can expand with the the industry in terms of where you know client assets are to make sure that everything's in one place or is all aggregated in one place.
0: That's what happens when you're playing with the big boys, Colin. You got to start getting into all these other esoteric stuff, right?
1: Yeah, it is. And and that's, you know, Craig, you know this. It's the hardest part of the job, right? It's like, okay, we've gone wide. Mm -hmm. You got to keep going deep in all these functional areas. What are the things on the fringes you're willing to expand into? Like, we're not going to do financial planning, right? We're not going to do CRM. Like, it's going to be, you know, the portfolio management system and everything that comes along with that. And so... Um, we need to be focused on that. And then, you know, as we grow, we've been able to expand resources too, right? So, you know, we have, I think, north of 40 engineers now, uh, close to 50, you know, with, with our product team, we have 50 people dedicated to the product. We're, you know, planning to continue to expand that. So it's a, we're in a different stage than having you know, seven or eight engineers like last time we talked to you in twenty seventeen or oh, the yeah. first time we talked to. You. So first time, yeah. We're able to we're able to tackle more, but then yeah, there's more maintenance and everything. So you know it goes on a software company, but I feel like we're positioned and we have the right people to execute against it.
0: Colin, that's awesome. And we are now out of time. Can you please tell listeners where they can find more information out about GeoWealth?
1: Absolutely. So uh Geowealth.com is is the best place and there's um, interactive things on the website where you could request a demo or introductions. Um, and we're all over it, so we'll be right on top of it. Feel free to visit our website uh, or call our land, you know, our, our home landline number at 312-219-9160. Uh, we love RAs, so feel free to, to give us a call or, or look us up on, on our, our website.
0: Excellent. Colin, thanks for being here.
1: Thanks, Craig. Always a pleasure. I'm looking forward to coming back at some point talk
0: about all the things we just discussed. Hey, it's Craig again. Here are my top three takeaways from this episode. So, as you heard, GeoWealth recently surpassed $28 billion in AUM across 180,000 accounts and 200 RIA clients. Number two, Unified Managed Accounts, They built their UMA capabilities, technology from the ground up, which is not easy to do. It's not trivial, Uh, focusing on flexibility, and they're looking to add more investment types like direct indexing and alternatives inside a UMA sleeve. They recently acquired First Ascent Temp, and they like their onboarding uh, concepts so much that they're building uh, similar capabilities into their own new account opening technology. And here's a fourth takeaway, a bonus. They've integrated with iCapital for alternative investment data. And that's it. You've reached the end of another episode of the Wealth Tech Today podcast. Thanks for listening. But before you go, please head over to our website, EzraGroup.com. Scroll to the bottom of the homepage and sign up for our newsletter, Once a month, you receive an email chock full of wealth management goodness, news, updates, information. You will not be disappointed. Thanks again for listening and talk to you all again next time.